all right welcome back fellow humans with true crime obsessions this is crime obsessed dog mom i'm michelle the crime obsessed dog mom with my host i think on my couch somewhere i don't know <laughs> today we're going to look at probably what i would consider one of the youngest serial killers that we're going to cover um mary bell so without further ado let's get started Doki. Welcome back everyone. Um, recording this a little later than I was wanting to, but that's okay. Uh, we went on a little trip this weekend, which was nice, and we went to Traverse City in Michigan, um, which is about like four and a half hours from us, and we left, we left Rory with my mom for the weekend, and yeah, so it was just a long couple days like Friday I took the day off I had to do the three-hour glucose test which if you don't know what that is essentially I took the one-hour test a couple weeks ago and I failed my blood sugar was supposed to be under 135 after an hour after having 50 grams of sugar uh that's a good it essentially tasted like fruit punch uh or like red Gatorade and it's like really, really sugary, and I, I failed it by like three points. So I was pretty big sad about that. But so I had to do a three-hour glucose test, and like the three days before the actual test, I had to eat like at least 150 grams of carbs every day. And I was like, oh no, this is the worst. 150 grams of carbs. But uh, so I took the test. I had to get there super early because I didn't want to have to wait because if I don't eat in the morning. I gag and I had a headache. It was miserable. And this time I had to have a hundred grams of sugar on an empty stomach, mind you. And they take your fasting blood sugar. And of course, the little testing machine that they needed uh, wasn't working. <laughs> and so it took them for like 30 minutes to finally like call someone to get it figured out. Super annoying. But because they had to like stick me with a needle, take my blood sugar or like my blood but then pull the needle out. Sorry, some of you are not needle people. And then like put the little, some of my blood on the strip and my blood sugar was like 80, which was, I was fasting for like 12 hours, which is really, really good actually. And then I had to drink the thing with hundred grams of sugar, which tastes, it tasted the same as the last one, just a little bit more sugary. And then I had to get my blood taken at hour one, hour two, and then hour three. So I had to like four, four pokes overall. And I got my test results like the same day as we were driving up uh, to Traverse City. And the highest my blood sugar was, was 111. So I'm thinking I'm, I'm good. Um, I'm a little concerned that it didn't go up higher than 111 because the last time it went to 138 in an hour. So we'll see what that means. I haven't heard back from like my doctor or the nurses or anything, so. But I think I passed it and it sucks because in I think like 10 weeks I have to take it again at the normal time that people get it the only reason I took it before is because I've struggled with uh, blood sugar before uh, I'm not anymore because I've lost 50 pounds but you know my, my a1c which is like your average blood sugar some number <laughs> I don't know really how it's calculated but over 
like a certain amount of months. It was like 4.7 or something like that. And I think the highest it's ever been is like seven, which made me like pre-diabetic, which sucked. But I stopped taking a couple months ago, the medication um, that I was taking for my blood sugar because they essentially were like, not that I'm cured, but like I've maintained a good blood sugar. I don't need to be taking this medication anymore. Worst case scenario, if for some reason in 10 weeks when I have to take the, the test again, um, I'll have to get on metformin then. But as of right now, I think we're just going to manage everything with, you know, weight management and everything. I haven't, since I got pregnant, maybe five pounds and I'll be 16 weeks this week. So we're not going to gain a ton of weight. I, my goal is less than 20. So um, just because my mom gained like a lot of weight with my brother and I just am not, I don't want that. I don't want to start my journey all over again um, when I am in control of this. So I'm still eating, eating pretty well. I mean, this morning I went and got Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> but uh, I've, I've, I've been feeling pretty good overall now that we're in the second trimester. I'm not gagging as much. I have been waking up with headaches, which has kind of been poopy. Um, but yeah, just... We're working on staying active. I have a little bit more energy. I can stay up a little later, which is more natural for me because I am a natural night owl. So when I was going to bed at like 9.30, I was getting sad because I, you know, I get FOMO, like fear of missing out, you know, when I'm playing games and stuff like that. But yeah, so things have been going pretty well. I was productive during my little glucose test. Uh, I wrote a couple of episodes because I had to sit there for three hours and I couldn't like leave or anything. So yeah, uh, so today we're gonna look at Mary Flora Bell. Um, she was born in May 26, 1957. Her mom's uh, name was Elizabeth or Betty Bell and her it, her maiden name was uh, McCricket. Um, she unfortunately, well, unfortunately, sex work is not unfortunate. That's just some people's decision. She was a well-known local prostitute who was not home a lot, right? So she was working. She was frequently traveling to Glasgow to work and simply leaving her children in the care of their father if he was around, even if he was around, right? And Mary was actually Betty's second kid, and but Betty was only 17 and unfortunately the identity of Mary's uh, bio dad is actually unknown for the most part Mary's always believed that there was this guy named uh, Billy Bell or William Bell uh, that was her actual bio dad but he was a violent alcoholic and just a habitual criminal had a, re a record for crimes like armed robbery um, however when she was a baby, her father, or by what she thought was her biological father, actually married her mom, um, even though it's not completely known if he is actually the bio dad. Unfortunately, Mary, like a lot of serial killers or killers in general, didn't have a great childhood. Uh, she was very unwanted. Uh, she was neglected. According to her aunt, uh, within minutes of Mary being birthed by her mother, she what like her mom 
didn't want her to be placed in her arms. Like, her mom literally said, take that thing away from me. And I just, I don't get it. I can't wait to hold my baby in my arms. Like, that's going to be, like, core memory. Play the core memory music from inside out. Like, you know, that's, that's, it just, that makes me really sad um, to have a, you know, a kid that's unwanted and neglected. So, as a young kid, baby, she, Mary frequently suffered injuries in household accidents while uh, alone with her mother. Um, It was actually believed that it was actually like deliberate neglect um, or intentional, like her mom was intentionally trying to harm her or even like kill her. Uh, um, uh, One occasion in 1960, so she would have been like three, Betty dropped her daughter from a first floor window. On a second occasion, she literally gave her a bunch of sleeping pills. She's also known to have once sold Mary uh, to a mentally unstable woman who was unable to have women, uh, children of her own, resulting in her older sister, Catherine, having to travel alone from Newcastle to reclaim Mary from this individual and to bring her back to her mom's house. So despite all this negligence and clearly she didn't want the kid right she's abusing her kid her mom refused all these offers of from her family like hey we'll take her we'll take care of her but her mom wouldn't say or let them essentially so she the area that she grew up was in scottswood area of newcastle not a great um place very poor poor area um lots of domestic violence and lots of just crime in the area um, as a result, uh, her crimes before Mary escalated, um, including attacks on other children at school, vandalism, theft did not attract any attention because this is normal in this area. She also de- developed a reputation as a show-off and her proclamation was, I am a murderer, um, was unfortunately dismissed you know, dismissed for, you know, her age. So on May 25th, 1968, she's 11, day before her birthday, 11th birthday, she strangled a four-year-old named Martin Brown in a derelict house, which I had to look this up. It actually means it was abandoned, it seems like. Uh, She believed to have committed the crime alone. Martin's body was discovered by three children at approximately 3.30, he was lying on his back with his arms stretched above his head. Aside from specks of blood and foam from his mouth, there was no sign of evidence uh, or violence visible on his actual body. A local workman named John Hall uh, arrived on scene, on, on scene and he attempted to perform uh, CPR, but unfortunately, he was already passed away at that time. Uh, as he was attempting CPR, Mary... Or she was also known as like May, and her she had a friend with her named Norma. Um, they were not related. Uh, Bell uh, appeared in the doorway of this bedroom where where um, Martin when was dead. Both were you know quickly shooed away, and so they ended up going to Martin's aunt, a Miss Rita Finley, and told her one of your sisters, Barons. Uh, this means kid. Um, 
just had an accident. We think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him, which remember, there wasn't blood all over him. Following day, cops came, everything. Dr. Bernard Knight, he conducted a postmortem, uh, essentially like a, an autopsy um, uh, on Martin. He was unable to identify any signs of violence on the child's body. Remember, there's only like foam and blood on his mouth. Um, so they couldn't figure out what happened, how he had passed away. Though he was able to discount the, there was investigators here that he had died of poisoning through ingesting tablets. So they couldn't figure out what happened. And I'm assuming they thought, right, he has blood in his mouth and foaming. That would be like poisoning normally. So the next day on Mary's 11th birthday, uh, the day after her first murder, her and Norma broke into uh, like a nursery nearby and vandalized it. Uh, they entered premises, they peeled tiles off the slate roof, they tore books, they upturned desks and put ink all over um, and like poster paints all, all over the property before escaping. The following day, the staff of the nursery discovered the break-in and the vandalism and immediately notified the police, who also discovered four separate notes that claimed the responsibility, whoever did this, right, of this vandalism was responsible for Martin Brown's murder. Uh, one of these notes stated, I murder, and this isn't great grammar, I murder so that I may come back. Another read, we did murder Mar Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. Uh, third note, really, or read, um, it's not spelled right, but fuck off, we murder. Watch out, Fanny, and homophobic slur. <laughs> uh, the final note was the most compl complex reading, you are mice why be cursed we murdered martin go brown you beat look out there are murders about by fanny and odd homophobic slur you screws the police determined this was incident it was just like they just thought it was like a tasteless and childish prank two days later on may 29th shortly before the funeral of martin uh in a game of chicken both girls called uh, upon the house of his mother, June, asking to see her son. When June Brown replied that they couldn't see her because he was dead, Mary goes, oh, I know he's dead. I just want to see him in his coffin. Yeah. Continuing on. Uh, July of 1968, uh, the pair again, Norma Mary, took part in the death, again by strangling, of a three-year-old, Brian Howe on a wasteland in the same like Scottsdale area, Scotts, sorry, Scottswood area. Police reports concluded that Mary Bell had later returned to the body to carve an N into his stomach with a razor. This was then changed using the same razor, but with a different hand to an M. Mary also had used a pair of scissors to cut off some of Howe's hair, scratch his legs, and mutilate his private area. A few days later, about five days later in August, early August, the parents of Norma, Norma Bell contacted the police stating their daughter wished to confess that she knew of the death of Brian Howe. DCI Dobson, who's the investigator, arrived at the home and formally cautioned Norma. They asked what she knew, you know, essentially like asked her, hey, what's going on? Norma informed Dobson that Mary had taken to her spot 
to a spot on the Tin Lizzie, at which point she had been shown Brian's body. Mary had then demonstrated to her how he had strangled the child. According to Norma, Mary had confessed to her that he enjoyed, she had enjoyed strangling the child before describing how she had inflicted the scour marks to his stomach with a razor, which had been hidden at the crime scene, and the broken scissors. Norma, oh, the scissors blade had also been hidden. Norma had led the police to the crime scene and revealed the location where the razor, bo- razor blade was hidden. A drawing Norma made of the wounds inflicted in the boy's abdomen matched exactly those of the, the coroner uh, after they were doing uh, his autopsy. Mary Bell was visited at her home early hours the next day on August 5th. On this occasion, she was very defensive when she was comf- confronted with this, um, these essentially these, uh, you know, they're accusing her. Um, she said to the detectives, you're just trying to bo- uh, brainwash me. I will get a solicitor to get me out of this. So, which was like a lawyer. Later that day, Norma was questioned again. On this occasion, she made a full statement to which she admitted being present with Mary, with Mary, um, when he, she had actually strangled Brian. According to Norma, when the the trio were alone on the Tin Lizzie, Mary seemed to go all funny, pushing to the child into the grass and attempting to strangle him before stating to her, my hands are getting thick, take over. She had had then run from the screen, uh, leaving Mary alone with Brian. So she was there to begin, Norma was, but she ended up getting scared and running away. Uh, Forensic exam of the clothing owned by both girls revealed the Gray fibers discovered upon Brian's bodies were a precise match to the woolen dress owned by Mary. The maroon fibers upon the children's shoes were a precise match to the skirt owned by Norma. Furthermore, the same gray fibers had also been found upon Martin Brown's body. So shortly after their arrest, both girls went under psychological evaluations. The tests of the tests revealed that Norma was intellectually delayed and a submissive character who easily displayed emotion, whereas Mary was bright, uh, yet cunning character prone to sudden mood swings. Uh, occasionally Mary was willing to talk, um, but then she'd become just sullen and wouldn't talk and defensive. The fourth psychiatrist who examined Mary concluded that although not suffering from a mental disorder, she suffered from a psychopathic personality disorder. In his report compiled for the Director of Public Prosecutions, Dr. David Westbury concluded that Mary's social techniques were primitive and taken to the form of automatic denial, incrustination, uh, I don't know if I said that right, manipulation, complaining, bullying, and flight, flight or violence. So now that they were caught, let's talk conviction. Later that year in December 1968, at the Newcastle uh, Assizes, Nor- Nora, uh, Nora, sorry, Norma was acquitted, but Mary was convicted of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. The jury, uh, taking their lead for her di- from her diagnosis by the, the psychiatrist who described her as those classic symptoms of psychopathy, the judge uh, described her as dangerous and that she posed a very grave risk to other children. She was sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's uh, pleasure, effectively an indefinite sentence of imprisonment. 
So she was originally detained at the German Remand House, then uh, Remand Home. Then she was transferred to a second Remand Home in South, Nor- South Norwood. She was then transferred to Red Bank Secure Unit, uh, a young offenders institution in early 69, when she was the only female, actually, among 24 inmates. Uh, she she claimed at some point that she was sexually abused by a member of the staff and several inmates when incarcerated at this facility, claiming that the sexual abuse started when she was 13. Uh, in 1973, at 16, she was fr- transferred to a secure wing of the HM prison stall in Cheshire. Reportedly, she resented her transfer to this facility um, and she attempted to get parole, but she was unsuccessful. Well, a few years later, in June of 1976, she was transferred again to an open prison where she undertook a uh, secretarial course. Uh, 15, 15 months later, in September of 1977, she once again made national headlines when she and another inmate briefly escaped from the prison. Uh, both spent days, um, several days, in the company of two young men in Blackpool visiting the like amusement places and sleeping in a, a few different local hotels. When Mary used the, uh, she actually used the alias Mary Robinson, her and uh, the other inmate eventually parted ways. Mary did end up getting arrested at a home, at the home of one of the guys that they were hanging out with named Clive Shirtcliffe, uh, September 13th. So she didn't make it for very long. Um, she had staged, uh, she had dyed her hair blonde in an effort to disguise uh, her identity. When she was related, uh, she ended up, you know, obviously going back into custody. She, uh, yeah, and then the, the other person was, the other person that had uh, escaped, her name was Annette Priest. She ended up getting uh, arrested a few days later. Uh, their penalty was that, well, Mary's at least was, uh, for escaping was the loss of pri- prison privileges for 28 days. In June of 1979, the Home Office announced their decision to transfer Mary Bell to, from the to an open to another open category prison in the village of Askham, Richard, to in an effort to prepare her for unfortunately her eventual release into society, which was planned for the following year. In November of 1970, uh, 1979, she worked as a secretary then as a waitress at a cafe in Yorkminster under supervision guidelines in an effort to, once again, prepare her for her release. She was released in May of 1980 at the age of 23 after serving about 11 and a half years in custody. She was granted an uh, anonymity. <laughs> Essentially, she was anonymous. Um, she was, you know, got a new name. Uh, she started a new life somewhere else in the country under an assumed identity. Upon her release, a spokesman quoted that Bell wishes to be given a chance to live a normal life and to be left alone. Four years later, in ninety uh, in eighty four, she gave birth to a daughter. This would be her only child. Her daughter knew nothing of her mother's past until 1998 when reporters discovered Mary's then current location at a resort town in Sussex uh, Coast where she and her daughter had been living for about a year and a half. Unfortunately, this the media finding out where they were uh, forced her and her daughter to leave their home and to be driven to a safe house uh, by undercover officers. 
later that uh, they were relocated, re, uh, relocated to another part of the United Kingdom. Her daughter's uh, anonymousness, you know, was uh, originally protected only until she reached the 18 of 18, age of 18. However, in 2003, uh, she Bell won a high court battle to have her her um, and her daughter's uh, anonymous status to be extended for life. Any court order permanently protecting the identity of someone is uh, actually known. So it you know now is now known if anybody wants to have that their identity permanently protected is known as the Mary Bell order. Um, the latest update that I could find was that in 2009 she had become a grandmother. So she had a real rough upbringing. She killed two kids very quickly after each other. Went to jail, served 11 and a half years, and is just living out her life now. So that's kind of crazy to me, but that's that's kind of it. That's all we have. It's not a super long episode, but uh, I do appreciate everybody tuning in. If you have any feedback, let me know. You can follow me on all the different socials at CO Dog Mom uh, Podcast, or just look up Crime Obsessed Dog Mom, and you will find us there. Uh, Be kind to your animals, Uh, stay true crime obsessed, and I will talk to you all next week.